Did they show it in Australia? Is it syndicated in Australia? No? So you guys watch on YouTube? Or how did you know about Mr. Rogers? Have you ever seen Mr. Rogers, I should say? Maybe you know of him, but have you ever watched? So that was your first exposure to Mr. Rogers? I feel so privileged to introduce him to you. I encourage you to all go and watch them. Um, I actually didn't grow up watching Mr. Rogers because I grew up in, the, in Korea, and by the time I moved to the U.S., I was eight years old, and I guess I just missed, missed all that. But then, as an adult, now that I have kids, um, I'm always looking for good TV shows, and I, I always knew about Mr. Rogers. Culturally, he's an icon, and so I always knew that he's this man who comes out with a sweater and puts on his shoes and sings about you know, being a neighbor. But it's only recently in the past, really six months, that I've gotten to know him. And I'm going to talk more about him later on in the sermon. But um, he is extraordinary, and the show is extraordinary. And, of course, they don't show it anymore. Uh, they do have them online, but, um, you know, they don't broadcast them anymore because he passed away. But um, I'm so happy I got to introduce him to you. Wasn't that amazing? Just a short little clip. If you missed it, go back and, and watch it on, online. Um, but the reason why I wanted to show you that clip is because uh, we're doing a series called No More Fear, and today is No More Fear of Loneliness. Um, and as you saw, you know, there's Jeff in his wheelchair, um, and, but you can tell he's happy and he feels like he belongs. Um, and I don't know how many of you celebrated Harmony Day on Wednesday, but the, the key message of Harmony Day is everyone belongs. Everyone belongs. Um, and, you know, Micah came home from childcare, and he was like, you know, the teacher asked us, what makes you special? What makes you special? And he, he said, I said, I'm special because I can jump on my scooter. You know, and I was like, you're special for a lot of other reasons, too. <laughs> but um, it's nice to be able to ask yourself, why are you special? And as we think about this theme of loneliness um, today, you know, one of, one of our fears is the fear of being alone or the fear of dying alone or the, you know, that discomfort we feel. And loneliness is, the, is not something that you feel when you're alone. Actually, sometimes your loneliest moments are when you're surrounded by people and you have relationships and friends and family, but you still feel disconnected inside, right? I've been there. We, I think we all have felt lonely at some, some time in our lives. And we're not alone. We, it turns out that loneliness strikes people of all ages, all backgrounds, whether you're rich, famous, poor, um, everyone has experienced loneliness. Now, some, some of us experience loneliness for only a season. If we're new in a city or a job, um, or we're in an environment where we're the only ones, you know, we don't know anyone. But some people experience chronic loneliness. In a research published in 2016 in Germany, they discovered that um, the loneliest people group, who do you think? Loneliest people group um, were the elderly. So, you know, most people know that the elderly are very lonely. But then here's the thing. The second most loneliest population that they found in their research were young people in their 30s. They were the second most lonely people. Just this week, actually, new research published in Harvard Business Review revealed that in America, and maybe it's different here, but in America, the loneliest workers, because they saw, they, they saw that loneliness really affects work quality and effectiveness, and they found that the loneliest workers were those who were well-educated, uh, particularly doctors, lawyers, and government workers, 
people who were single, didn't have children, who were non-heterosexual, and who were non-religious. These are the loneliest workers in America. But not only does loneliness affect our effectiveness at work, it affects our health. There's been a lot of studies done to show the effects of loneliness on health. In fact, the former U.S. surgeon, uh, General uh, Vivek Murthy, says that the most common pathology he saw during his years of service was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. Some say that chronic loneliness is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It kills more people than obesity. According to a review of 70 studies conducted in 2015, loneliness increases the risk of the chance of you dying by 26%. And the way that it does, is, does this is that um, uh, they've done research in UCLA by a genetics researcher. They discovered that the cells of people who experience chronic loneliness are stuck in a state of fear. And so constant physiological uh, response to flight or fear is happening. So inflammation, increase in hormones like cortisol, and there's genetic changes in these hormones, and so they're more likely to, um, to get disease. Their immune system drops. And so loneliness can actually make you sick and can uh, increase the chance of, of you dying. In fact, um, Tilburg University, I found this very interesting, has published a study that says that feeling lonely cools your body temperature down about 0.378 degrees. Now I get cold very easily anyways, so don't leave me lonely, people. <laughs> I will be very cold. So, you know, it, it's interesting looking at these effects, and, and you know, that's a pretty serious thing for someone to say, hey, loneliness kills more people than diabetes or heart disease. Like, that, that's a pretty serious thing. And so actually in, in um, the UK, January, in January of this year, because this is such a terrible um, factor that nobody has really done anything about, they wanted to address this epidemic of loneliness. So in January, Britain appointed their first minister of loneliness. Did you know that? January of this year. I love it when, like, we, Roy and I plan our sermon series, like, way in advance. But it's, like, Harmony Week, and it's, like, all these articles coming out this week about loneliness. I was, like, love everything coming together. And, um, yeah, just in January, Minister of Loneliness was appointed. And some people laughed, you know. American sitcoms made fun of, you know, only in Britain do you have to, like, create a minister of loneliness because everyone's like not talking about their emotions. You know, they made fun of it. But they're actually doing something because they looked at all the statistics. They did an extensive study and they found over 9 million Britons were lonely. Okay, that's a lot of people. Um, and so they are doing something about it, which I think is fantastic. And um, so, uh, the, of course, you know, Prime Minister Theresa May appointed um, this woman um, to be the Minister of Loneliness, and she's going to be creating programs and initiatives to try to combat loneliness, um, especially for the elderly, but for others as well. well. What about us here in Australia? Are we left to our own? We don't have a Minister of Loneliness. I have good news for you, because in the Bible we find solutions, we find ways, we, ha we find um, that God had created us for community, that God doesn't want us to be alone, that he doesn't want us to be lonely. And so I'm going to offer you some solutions from the Bible, so the Christian worldview um, of how to overcome our loneliness. And the first is to join a church community. You know, when Jesus lived on earth, 
He gave lonely people a community. He embraced people of all backgrounds, especially those who were on the fringes, right? Those who were rejected by society but were precious to God. The disabled, the sick, the elderly, the young, the sinners, the uneducated, the widows, the ethnic minority, everyone was included in Jesus' community. He also invited the wealthy and the educated who were searching for meaning and truth and felt hollow, right? They're going through them, they have this wonderful life, but they felt something was missing. And Jesus also invited them to come and be a part of his community. The church is the one place on earth where not only is everyone welcome, okay, there are other places where you're also welcome and there's diversity. But the church is the one place where everyone is commanded to love one another. Think about that for a moment. You can be in a lot of clubs. You can be in a lot of meetups. You can be in a lot of workplaces that are great and are friendly. But the church is the one place where the number one rule is you have to love one another. You have to love one another. This is what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you think that you came to church today to listen to a sermon and then go home, you've completely missed the point of church. The point of church is to love one another, to care for each other, to show that you want to know the person sitting next to you, the person sitting behind you, that you want to show them that they're important, that they're precious, that you're giving them the time of day. Because you can connect to God anytime, right? You can go off to the mountains. You can, um, you know, watch this sermon at home. You, you can, you can um, experience connection with God on your own anytime, anywhere. And God encourages you to do that. But God established the church so that you can experience connection with God and connection to each other. He wants us to learn to love one another. Church is where relationships are deepened and genuine care is cultivated with people that you would not have otherwise chosen for yourself. Because church is open to everyone, there are all kinds of people. Right? from all different backgrounds. And the challenge to you is to come and get to know one person today that you don't know very well and get to know them and to build and cultivate a genuine, loving relationship with them. So even if it's your first time here today or whether it's your 300th time today, I want you to make some effort to step out of your comfort zone and to actually fulfill Jesus' commission for the church to love one another, to ask each other how your week was and actually listen. And if you're the one answering, be vulnerable and just don't, don't just say it was fine. Actually share a little bit of yourself. Not everything, but just share a little bit of yourself. I know that's scary, but that's the purpose of church, to be able to be open and to say to each other, like Mr. Rogers can say to to that young man, I like you just the way you are. Not for who you, you know, what you do, not for your hair, not for all that, but just exactly for who you are. And the way that Jesus 
embraced each person as a precious child of God. We see after Jesus died and resurrected, he, he, he left instructions for his disciples. And we see this first church that the disciples established. And we see this community in, in Acts chapter 2. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily to those who are being saved. This wasn't communism. Communism is when you're forced to share everything in common. They willingly, those who wanted to, not everyone did, okay, but those who wanted to, of their own hearts, because of their love for one another, saw somebody in need and said, well, you know what, I've got an extra house, I've got an extra land, sold it and, and gave it to that person in need. This was a church community that knew what church was about, that it's not just about you know, putting on our best, putting on a mask, and then being there, listening to a sermon, reading you know, something, connecting to God individually, quietly, and then privately, and then all dispersing. This was a community that loved one another. And you know, love doesn't happen by chance. It says that they met daily, right? The more you are together, the more that love grows. They ate together. Wherever there's food, there's love. Okay? <laughs> That's how it works with me anyway. You eat together, you stay together. And so they ate together, they met together, they prayed together. There's nothing more intimate than praying with someone. You go on that deeper level together. And so I really want to encourage you, if you're not part of a small group at our church, join a small group. There's information in the bulletins about where they're located when they meet. It's an opportunity to eat together and, and, and talk together, pray together, and, and come together in a smaller you know, way because it's a bit intimidating when there's a large group. But with a few people, it's easier to do so. And even if you can't join a small group for some reason, I want you to commit to your church if, whether this is your here or your home church, commit to that church and love someone. You don't have to love everybody all at once, but pick one person that you can have one more genuine, meaningful, connected conversation with. Maybe it's helping someone. Um, our church, we have so many wonderful people who um, give so much of themselves to 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 make this community happen. And we're very grateful for every single one of them. And maybe, maybe if you've never um, helped out in church before, whether that's greeting downstairs or, you know, doing prayer or, um, you know, whatever it is, all the different aspects, setting up chairs, um, maybe, maybe this is the time you can start doing that. Or maybe it's just saying hello to a visitor and making them feel welcome, being that friendly face, right? It's intimidating to walk into a uh, place where you don't know anybody. And so remember that and just put a smile on and say, hello, welcome. And if that's all you can say because you're shy, that's all right. That may be enough to make the feel person feel less lonely. 
research shows that those who belong to a faith community live longer. So just as loneliness has health effects, community has health effects. Specifically, communities of faith have health effects. A study published uh, last year um, found that regular church service was linked to reductions in the body's stress response and even in mortality. So worshipers were 55% less likely to die during an 18-year follow-up period. 55%. That's a lot, folks. Okay? It's, it's better than giving up smoking, drinking. Like, this is like one of the best ways to increase your health. Okay? It's better than exercise. 55%. That is, that is pretty good. Um, another comprehensive study published in 2016 by the JAMA International Internal Medicine found that women specifically who went to any kind of religious service um, more than once a week had 33% lower chance um, than their secular peers of dying during the 16-year study. So especially if you're a woman, you get to live even longer, right? Um, there was another uh, study done at Harvard uh, School of Public Health, and they said that some of the factors related to church going, like having a network of social support, an optimistic attitude, better self-control, and a sense of purpose in life, these all contributed to the, to the reasons why you lived longer. Marino Bruce, co-author of um, another study and the professor of medicine, health, and society at Vanderbilt said, having that sense that you're not alone that you're part of a power larger than oneself can give one the confidence to deal with the issues of life. You know, we're a small church, so you might feel like, well, I don't feel like I'm part of a big whole, but I guarantee you, we are part of a great whole, right? There are millions of Christians around the world. We belong to a church that has millions of members, right? And just in case you're in doubt and you want to be reminded of that, I guess that's why we have these big, big camps and things where we get together. And so next week, reminder, we are closed here because two hours up north in Elmore, there's going to be thousands of people coming together um, to, in these big tents <laughs> to hear guest speakers flying in from around the world. Um, and it goes from Thursday to Monday, but um, I know not everyone can come for the whole time. But I want to invite you to come for Saturday at least. Come up, listen to some good speakers, look around and know that you're part of a big community of believers and you can come visit me in the beginner's tent. I'm in charge of the beginner's division, zero to two. So you can come and visit me and say hello there. You know, sometimes we feel like we're the only Christians in the workplace. And maybe we are. Or the only Christians in our neighborhood or in our schools, in our classrooms. But you know, you're actually not alone. You're actually not alone. There was a man named Elijah who was a prophet in the Old Testament times. And he lived in a time where culture was, was completely anti um, the God of Israel. Um, everybody was worshipping the idols of Baal and Asterisk and other, other um, gods and goddesses. And so Elijah felt like he was the only one standing up for God. He felt like he was fighting this battle alone. He had to, you know, be the lone voice, you know, in the wilderness making this message. And he has this amazing showdown where he goes up to the mountain and it's him. He's challenged the idol worshippers to say, you know what? You, call, you make an altar. You call down your God and see if he sends fire. I will pray to my God and we'll see who is the true God. So there's this dramatic scene and, you know, the, the worshipers of Baal are singing and dancing and cutting themselves and, 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 and 
hours of hours trying to get fired up from heaven. Nothing happens. After a whole day passes, Elijah says, okay, my turn. He digs a hole, he pours water all around it so that people know that this is not a trick. Drenches the, wa- the altar with water like seven times to show like, yep, it's wet. You can't, I can't even light it if I want to. And now it's sunset, you know, time. And he kneels down and prays and whoosh, fire comes down from heaven. And not only comes down, but devours everything. So not even, all the stones get burnt up and it's like rubble. And then everyone's like, okay, your God is God, right? And you would think that after this moment, he'd be like, yes, because all these people have now joined him. But in a twist of events, Elijah actually starts fearing for his life because he's afraid that the king, will, his wife will kill him. And he runs away. And then he like goes through this um, extreme depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And he runs away. And God comes to him and he says, hey, Elijah, what's going on? Why are you here? And, and look at this, what Elijah says. He says, I have been, um, oops, I think I missed something there. Um, it's all right, I'll read to you. Um, it says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your government, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're going to kill me too. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. And then God replies, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Anoint Jezu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, to succeed you as prophet. And then he says, I have 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him, who are faithful to me. <laughs> Elijah, you think you're all alone, but I have 7,000 others and i even have people lined up to succeed you and to you know i've got a plan i've got this whole community you are not alone you are not alone and so if you feel like sometimes you're the only one i want to encourage you you are not alone and that's another reason why the church is such an important place for you to come and to remember and to be reminded oh yeah i am not alone here's here's a group of people who believe um you know, not maybe exactly the same, but who believe in this mission to search for truth and who are on this journey together to find and discover and know and love God. And so it's a good way for us to come together. And I want to challenge you once again, commit to regular. Notice how the chance of your health is not for once in a while. It's regular church attendance. Once a week, if not more, you know, having, having that regular spiritual community. So I want to challenge you. And, even if, and like I said, even if you can't do that today, at the very least, you're here. And that means that you're part of this community today. And we're glad that you're here. We care about you and we hope that we can get to know you better today. And even if I don't get a chance to talk to all of you, I hope everyone here talks to one person. So that you can all leave this place having had at least one meaningful connection. In addition to church community, another solution to loneliness is service. Be a friend for someone else in need. You know, last month I got to go to the Adra Homeless Ministry. Um, on the fourth Friday of every month, we, we go to the Queen Victoria Markets and we help the Adra van serve food uh, for the homeless. And there's other organizations there. When I got there, um, the Adra van hadn't come yet. 
And so then I look around and I don't know anybody. Um, and there's other organizations, there's other people. And I'm like standing there a little, little awkwardly, like they're like, oh, do you want food? I'm like, no, I'm okay. I don't really know what to do. And so I was like, okay, get myself together. I thought, all right, I feel lonely. Best thing to do, go up and talk to somebody and be that person, right? So I did. There was a, a, a young gentleman making, you know, cooking the barbecue. And so I just kind of sidled up to him and I said, hello, um, what organization are, are you with? And I just started a conversation. And while I was waiting for the Adra van and for people I recognized, like Shane came and I was like, hello. But um, until then, I had a lovely time getting to know this young man. He, he was from the Coptic church and they had been doing this uh, every two weeks for two years. And I found out where he works, what he does. He had been on holiday and we had a lovely conversation. And it was every person we meet, they teach us so much. They give us so much of themselves and we... we it enriches our experience as human beings um, to meet different people. And, um, you know, when you, when you do something for others, whether it's a service organization or some kind of community service, whatever it may be, it's an opportunity for us, not only for us to not feel lonely, but to, to be that friend for someone else who might be lonely. And through that way, it's a lovely way where you both find community. You know, one day Jesus, a lawyer came to Jesus and asked him a question. He came to Jesus, and you can find this story in your white Bibles in Luke 10, and I'll narrate it for you. The lawyer came to Jesus and said, hey, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What, what, how, do I be, how can I be saved? And Jesus asked him, well, what is written in the law, right? You're a lawyer. And the lawyer says, well, the law says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right. That's it. Go do it. But the Lord is like, whoa, 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 wait. But who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story. A man was going down from Jericho, Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus turned to the lawyer and said, Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And you have to remember that Jews and Samaritans were enemies. And so the Jewish lawyer, with, very, with great difficulty, would have choked out the words. He couldn't even bring himself to say, the Samaritan. So he says, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. You know, sometimes we are so preoccupied with our own pursuits of happiness. Our careers, you know, our families, our friends. We have important and, and they're good, worthy things. But we're so preoccupied with our own pursuits that we pass by those who are hurt, who are sick, who are lonely. Jesus calls us to be a neighbor to one of those people who are all around us. 
I promise to come back to Mr. Rogers. He's my hero.、Um, yesterday, I ordered eighty dollars worth of books by him.、Uh, Roy, I ordered eighty dollars worth of books. <laughs> I am in love with this man.、Um, he is amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about him. And those of you who missed the clip I showed earlier, you need to go back and watch it.、Um, it's all on our YouTube channel,、um, or you can just look up Mr. Rogers and any episode is is fantastic. Mr. Fred McFilly Rogers, that's his real name, born in、uh, 1928. He was an American、um, American man. Now he was ordained as a minister. Okay, he was a pastor. But he had this passion for for children, and he saw that in television. So many of the shows are, you know, he called it bombardment of images. And this is back in like the fifties. Imagine if he were alive now and saw the things that are on TV, and and all the violence. And he he really wanted children to be able to watch something on television that was helpful to them in real life. And so he came up with this idea of having this TV show where he himself, Mr. Rogers. Talks to children about real life issues every episode, every week. Things that were nobody was talking about, especially to children. Things like death, divorce, racism. And this show started in 1968, just four months after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. And Fred Rogers、um, hired and created this character called Police Officer Clemens.、Um, Who was a black police officer who was kind and responsible, and Mr. Rogers' equal and a neighbor. He was one of the first African Americans hired、uh, for a television show for children. And you know, in an in an interview later done, he, he the actor was saying that when he was asked to to portray a police officer, he was like. The only police officers he knew were violent towards him as an African American, and so he was like, "How do I play this character?" It was revolutionary what Mr. Rogers did during this time. Around the one-year anniversary of his death, Dr. King's death, Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens to join him. You know, he was a hot day, and Mr. Rogers had his had his feet in a little swimming pool, and.、Um, In the episode, Mr.、Um, Clemens comes in, and you know, Mr. Rogers. It's not scripted so much. Like he, he just does this. He does a natural talking style, and he said, "Come, soak your tired feet in the pool." And so Officer Clemens does this, very surprised, you know. And there they were, side by side, their feet soaked. And to us, that's like, okay, what's the big deal? This was a time when they had colored swimming pools. And white swimming pools, where they were not allowed to mix. And here on public television, Mr. Roberts was making a point. And they just sat. And Mr. Rogers believed very much in not having, you know, background music and all that stuff. So he just they just sat in silence for a few minutes during the show. No comments, no music. Twenty-five years later, when the actor playing, you know, Officer Clemens retired, they had another last scene on the show, revisiting this waiting pool. And Officer Clemens asked Mr. Roberts, "What were you thinking about during those silent moments on television?" And Mr. Rogers, you know, a quarter century before, Mr. Robert, Rogers' answer, "Oh, I was just thinking about the many ways that people say 'I love you.'" And you know, I've been watching all these things about Mr. Rogers. And every single person who ever met him says, "Who you saw on TV was exactly who he was, because that's that was very important to him—not to play a character, but to be himself." 
And there were so many stories of individuals who would run into him. Oh, it's Mr. Rogers, you know? And they would say, oh, hey, thank you. You know, I, I watched you as a child. You, you, you did so much for me. And, you know, most celebrities would just smile and wave or whatever. And Mr. Rogers would come and sit, say, hey, let's sit down. T- tell me, um, what's, how are you? And he would say, well, you know, it meant a lot to me when you showed that one video about death because my grandfather died. And then he would ask, tell me about your grandfather. And he would sit there and every interview he ever did, and he did an interview with Joan Rivers and he made her cry. Every person he talked to, he made them feel like you're special. And he had this song at the end of every show where he says, it's you I like. You know, he's saying, it's you, not all the stuff, it's you I like. And, And he meant every word of it. And, you know, usually even the best people, right? Even Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., everybody, even the amazing people, there's a flaw somewhere. There's no flaw on this man. (laughs) No one had a negative thing to say. His whole life, he was this man. And, um, you know, a very famous uh, American news reporter, when he passed away, said, you know, he was a pastor. He never once mentioned God in, in the 25 years he did the show. He didn't need to. Because he lived out the principles of love that Jesus lived, and he made everybody feel like they were a neighbor. And when, when he would meet fans and people would recognize him, he would say, oh, are you my neighbor? Imagine if we lived and loved the way that Jesus wanted us to. Like he did, he, he learned, he knew. To be able to treat each other like neighbors, whether they are strangers or not, to be able to make that person feel like they belong. We can be that person. We can do that. We don't have to be perfect like Mr. Rogers, but we can smile and say hello and give someone the time of day. Another way, oh, I wanted to mention Pastor Brian Jay. Yesterday, I had the privilege of attending um, the funeral for Pastor Brian Jay. Um, I don't know if you remember, his two daughters actually came and visited our church a few months ago. And back then, of course, he was perfectly healthy. He actually moved from Korea to Australia in 1988 because there were no Korean churches, uh, Adventist churches in Australia, and he felt called to do so. So he came and planted every single Korean church that exists today. There's several in Sydney, um, Brisbane, Gold Coast, and he was actually about to start one in Melbourne. But um, three weeks ago, he suddenly just didn't feel well, went to the hospital, and they said, you have pancreatic cancer, you have less than three weeks to live. And he suddenly just passed away on Thursday, uh, Wednesday morning slash Thursday. Um, and so I flew out yesterday to Brisbane and attended his funeral and learned so much about this man. He was an extraordinary person. He lived his life to make others feel welcome and to give a place where people belonged. Um, and it was only after his death, you know, his three daughters were going through his things and they didn't even know about this, but they found, they found out that he was helping Korean adoptees in Brisbane learn the Korean language and culture and doing programs for them so that they felt like they knew who they were and had identity and, they, and that they belonged. I just want to encourage you, to, you know, being at that funeral really was a great, it was very inspirational, um, a great man of God. And it was a great reminder to me, what kind of legacy am I leaving behind? The place was packed with, and even though the funeral was, you know, so last minute, right? We had one day to kind of come there. So many people came from all over the world because he had, 
because he knew what it meant to be a neighbor, because he knew what it meant to love others, because he knew what it meant to help and serve. And so, you know, even though he was probably the only one, I mean, I would never have dreamt of being that brave, of coming here and saying, I'm going to start Korean churches when there are none. And what a pioneer, right? Pioneers are lonely people because they're at the top. No one is around them. But he didn't think about his, his needs and his loneliness. He was there to create communities for others. So I just want to challenge you, you know, yes, be a part of a church community, but also go out and, and be that person, be that neighbor for someone else. A third way that we can combat our loneliness is to, um, I'm sorry, my slides are kind of all over the place, is to read the Bible. I don't know about you, but I love reading books. And literature is a place where you can identify with the characters. They feel uh, real, right? You can, you know, I grew up loving Anne of Green Gables and Little Women. And to me, they're almost like real characters. They're my heroes. And in the Bible, there's all these characters you can identify with. People who messed up like us. People who rejoiced like us. People who cried like us. And so I want to challenge you to read the Bible, not just as, you know, a list of things that happened, but as real people who lived that you can get to know and, and try to imagine what they went through and put yourself in their place and imagine you were their friend and, 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 and interact with them that way. The book of Psalms is especially relatable because it expresses real feelings of those who went through life and who felt lonely. And as you read through the Bible, I pray that you will discover God, the best friend that you will always have. You might be alone, but you'll never be lonely when you have God at your side. And God is always at your side. Jesus has said, I will always be with you to the very end of the age. That's forever. Okay? God will always be with you. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you Earlier, I shared about the statistic that non-religious people are lonelier, right? It's not only because they don't have a faith community. It's because they don't have that sense of connection to God that we have 24-7, right? That wherever you are in the world, any time of day or night, you can call upon God. Amelia Worsley, professor at Amherst, observed in an article this week that loneliness cannot be overcome by mere external connections between individuals. Modern loneliness isn't just about physically being removed from other people. Instead, it's an emotional state of feeling apart from others without necessarily being so. Someone surrounded by people or even accompanied by friends or a lover can complain of feelings of loneliness because the wilderness is now inside of us. And I want to ask, why is there a wilderness inside of us that people alone cannot fill? Could it be that there is a God-shaped hole in our hearts that will ring hollow and lonely until God fills it? And that that is why even those who have friends and family and everything still feel that longing and that loneliness for something more. As Paul Matthews writes, sometimes we call loneliness what God's word calls a longing for unhindered intimacy with him and others. And we start thinking what other people can provide us, what only God can provide. And it amazes me how often I call loneliness what is actually a groaning for redemption. And instead of trying to numb it, I should embrace it and try to realize that it's God's good gift to me to remind me that this world is not my home.
So when you feel lonely, lean into that loneliness. Embrace that solitude as a chance for you to let God fill it. As a chance for God to fill that wilderness with His Spirit. Instead of with the entertainment and the people and the busyness. No, just keep that solitude and that loneliness for God. Psalm chapter 46 verses 10 to 11 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. When he was here on earth, no one understood what he was going through. Right? His closest friends didn't understand. He bore the cross alone. So he knows what we go through when we're lonely. He knows what our situation is. And he comes beside us and says, hey, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Because it's you alike. Because you're special to me. You're precious. And I want to know all about it. The last thing is just a, a, a very... Oh, sorry. Um, huh, my slides are all messed up. I apologize. The last thing was just a reminder to be open. Be open to new friends. Be open to new groups. Be open to new hobbies. Right, As you are in that lonely place, be open. And I pray that as you practice these things of committing to church, of serving and being a neighbor to someone else, as reading the Bible talking to God and being open, that not only will we be less lonely, but that we'll learn how to be a neighbor to someone else. And that as a result, that truly God's love will be glorified um, and that we'll be able to provide community for the millions of lonely people in Australia as well as around the world. And so as we go into discussion, um, I pray that we'll be able to find that meaningful connection today.